0: Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. So Father, thank you for this day you have made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you that you have captured our attention, that we draw near to you in worship and celebration for your goodness. Your commandments are not burdensome to us. Uh, We're not bothered by the fact that you have marked out boundaries for blessing. We want to know these commandments of the Lord and we want to fall within the inheritance of the goodness of God. So we pray that your word would be revealed to us. We thank you for the church. We ask you to entrust us to the work of bringing all men to kneel before your name. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. We pray that we would be in the right relationship with you. If there's any question, any doubt in our hearts about your goodness, today we want to, to bring clarity to that and turn back to you, Lord, that we might walk with you in this life, that we might honor our parents, that we might thrive and flourish in family, that We might bless our children as we live for God and seek first the kingdom of God. So pour out your blessing today. Let your word be a good seed planted in good hearts that will produce good fruit, a harvest that glorifies you, Lord, that we might be the voice of this generation to turn back to God and to worship and to love him. We pray that you would bless your word and that it would not return void. You have said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So our expectation is that you will speak to us this morning through your Holy Spirit, through the written word, and that we, Father, might live towards wisdom, and we might flourish in all blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, the people of God say amen, amen, and amen. Um, In this climate of the last days... um, there is what the Bible calls a, a great departing. Uh, you could read with me and we'll read together the passage of 1 Timothy 4.1. This is what the Spirit of God says will be the climate of the last days. So you don't have to freak out about, ah, look what's happening, ah, there's, all this is happening. Uh, the Spirit expressly says, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, that in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Be, be careful um, how your life is quick to respond to disobedience. The Bible says the spirit of disobedience will be strong in the last days. Uh, deceiving spirits, uh, deceptive expressions of reality um, I didn't. I didn't know that the climate would be so heavy in this direction, because when I became a Christian and I started hearing some of these things, I said, "Not in my lifetime. Uh, I could never see uh, the gross expression of Antichrist preparation." Well, guess what? We have arrived. We don't. We don't have to guess now if there's going to be a mark of the beast, if there's going to be lack of resources. Uh, the Bible says no one will be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. That's coming right down the pike for today. That's being researched, that's being studied, that's being prepared. Um, all the QR codes, everything going digital, um, the, the currency of today, all digital um, all these things speak about uh, an expression of the last days, and I've called this message "off the plantation grid." Um, the 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 screen here, the LED screen, as you know, is being rebellious this morning, um, and and so we have first signs of of how it's not working properly. But but I've asked the media team to put together a slide that shows the topic of today's message, Off the Plantation Grid, Um, this becomes a little bit um, offensive to some people because it's a reference of the time where where slaves had to stay within the boundaries of where they belonged, where there was ownership. And while it's offensive, uh, there's a similar expression, uh, Off the Reservation, which uh, when the Native American Indians were put in their uh, zones of reserved territory, they weren't allowed to come off these reservations. So it's an offense in our day to say, hey, you're off the reservation or you've moved off the plantation um, because we don't think like that anymore. And instead of this being the course of conduct, that's expected in the kingdom of heaven, um, the people says, don't don't speak to me like that because that talks about when people owned people and they did not give them freedom. So I I understand that concept, but so many people are falling out from the Lord. Um, The Bible says, and it's called right before the day of the Lord, um, there's a passage in 2 Thessalonians 2 where it says that, That people will, um, let's read that in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. The Bible says that let no one deceive you by means, by any means. For the day of the Lord will not come unless there's a great falling away comes first. A great falling away. Uh, Then the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition talking about the antichrist, the false prophet, these men will come on the scene. Um, but when the Bible is talking about many will depart and, and there'll be a great falling away, our concern is that there's people that will listen to this message that are not where they need to be. When we talk about uh, off the plantation grid, it's, it's a time to move back in the direction of God For so many people. Um, We'll see the examples are there from the first in Jude 1, 6. The Bible says there was a proper domain held, um, a proper domain held by the angels in heaven. And the Bible talks about the time when the angels did not keep their proper domain they didn't stay where they were appointed to be. And so that being said, it says that many left their abode. And for those who did not stay in the place God had appointed for them, he reserves in everlasting chains. Uh, another translation says dungeons. They're, they're held in heavy chains in the dungeons of darkness until the judgment of the great day they have to come and answer for having left the bible says that these were those who followed the devil the devil was able to convince them come with me into another direction second peter 2 4 talks about it also god did not spare the angels when they left their domain god did not spare those angels who were convinced to leave in another direction but cast them down to hell and delivered them to these chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment Uh, both the book of jude and the book written by peter in his second epistle talks about these historical incidences uh, of the angels departing the place that God had placed them. So in that regard, we're attentive now that it's not a good place to be other than the place where God tells you to hold the territory and the ground. And, and, and we see this in, not only in the heavens here in this example, we see them in the earthly realm, uh, in the first man and woman placed in the garden. And, and so for every man who decides to move away, we see the angels moving away from their standing where God placed them. Now in the next scene, we're upon the earth, and we see Genesis 3, 7, that both Adam and Eve moved away from their appointed territory, the eyes of both of them being opened. They knew they were naked they sowed another covering, fig leaves, and made for themselves coverings. But look what it says in verse 8. They removed themselves from the plantation. They, they went off the reservation. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord and disguised themselves amongst the trees. So the tendency, and I can tell you because I, I think it's there, it's innate. There's a tendency... To, when something happens, to flee. And and that is the word depart, abandon. That's natural. Uh, Up in the heavens, we see the angels doing this. On the earth, we see our fathers doing this. The natural tendency of man is to hide and to remove himself from the place God has appointed. Um, There, the Bible says in verse 22... The, the response of the Lord was, behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest, put him, uh, lest he put out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23. So the Lord sent them out of the garden. And he says to them, let's place an angel there. That's for verse 23. The, therefore, the Lord sent them out of the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24, and he put an angel. He drove man out of the place. Uh, he placed a cherub, an angel, at the east of the garden with a flaming sword which turned every way. This things we watch on cartoons all the time. A flaming sword that is moving to guard the way of the tree of life. So man was, was not able to come back to that place where God had placed them that he had given him instruction. So again, being removed, uh, leaving, departing that place. Later on, Cain kills Abel, Genesis 4:13, And he says, this punishment is too hard for me. You are driving me off the land and away from your presence. Uh, verse 14, you are driving me out this day from the, where you place me Hiding your face from me. Remember we said that where God's face is turned towards you. There's favor. Now the face of God is not turned towards Cain. I shall be a fugitive. This is a great word. Um, uh, Absent without leave. I'm running away from God. I'm not where God put me. I'm not achieving the purpose of God. I will be un vagabundo, vagabond. I will be roaming the earth and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. I don't have God's provision. I don't have his protection. I have departed from the territorial place that God has placed me. Uh, the, the offense of off the plantation means you are a servant to your master in the place he put you. Um, you're not free to get up and move in the direction that you want, while it's offensive to those who have suffered slavery, this is the language of heaven. We're not free to move about the country like that commercial, I think it's Southwest Airlines. You are now free to move about the country. You're not. We, we need to say, God, you have us in a place that flourishes and thrives and is fruitful and blessed. I never want to be off and this is what happened to many of the slaves when they had a wonderful master. They said, hey, I want to be here forever. I want to be a bond servant. A bond servant is a, one who serves freely because his master is so good to him. And so that is the biblical premise for all these things. We not only see the angels in heaven depart, we see Adam and Eve depart, we see Cain depart. Uh, removed from the protection and the provision of God. Um, in Genesis 16, we see that Sarah is making Hagar's life so impossible. You remember that story where Sarah tells Abraham, look, I'm not going to give you no children. Go and have intimacy with my servant girl, Hagar, and let her give you a son. In verse 6, Genesis 16, 6 says that Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she fled from her presence. Again, somebody who can't take the harsh treatment of where God has placed them flees from her presence. What happens next? The Lord comes after her, verse 7, and the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water on the road. And she's throwing a tantrum. We usually throw tantrums. We're off the plantation. We've removed ourselves from the reservation. We've decided not to be part of family no more. We're not going to be within the confines of where God has us. And here the angel appears in verse 8. He said, Hagar, where did you come from and where are you going? Those are great questions. Because as we flee the presence of God and flee the surroundings he's placed for us, now uh, she says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress that's the that's the feminine of master uh my owner i'm fleeing from her presence her name is sarah i can't take it anymore being underneath the harsh treatment what's it say verse nine and it says the angel of the lord says go back return and submit under her hand there's something to be said about this that is surreal um While so many people are saying, no, I don't want to be under the hand of servitude. I don't want to be treated like I don't own myself. The truth of the matter is you are cutting off the the expression of God's goodness in your life when he says the greatest of these shall be a servant. There's something about the laboratory of being under The master's rule that prepares you for a great harvest. And so you'll see that constantly taking place. uh, Other people will want to go and say, look, let me help you hide. Let me help you get away from this awful yoke. But the truth of the matter, verse 10 says, because... There in that place, under submission, God could multiply you greatly. And there's going to be a great expression of God's purpose revealed in that place. And that's the only thing that I can think of that could cause a person to come back uh, in that that realm. In the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 3, we see also Jonah running away from where God is sending him to escaping from the presence of the lord and so what i'm saying in the last days when so many people are departing from the lord so many people the great falling away we have i believe an opportunity for great ministry calling people back home to return to the plantation to return to the reservation to return to the plan of god he has for them he went to joppa and found a ship He's running from God to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. This, this portion of this verse is always very intriguing to me. That people finance their own rebellion. They're walking away from God. They turn their backs towards God. And went down into that realm. And he says to go with them to Tarshish. Escaping from the presence of the Lord. There are so many Family and friends that do not want the dealings of God in their life. So they run. They escape. Um, they're trying to flee the dealings of God. Could I suggest that although painful and hurtful, the preparations that take place there are more beneficial than not, that God has a plan in that realm to raise you up. The, the verses I have uh, for that premise... To going back, because it doesn't make sense that the angel would tell Hagar, go back and submit to the place she's telling the angel is very painful. Um, verse uh, Psalm 25:3 is the premise and it's the principle that none of those who have an expectation from the Lord will be ashamed. In other words, go back to the place where God is has defined and marked out those limits and parameters so that you can see the hand of God. Indeed, no one's going to be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. That means give God an opportunity to deal with those people with the responsibility uh, to care for you. We see this all over the Bible. Ephesians 6, 9, the Lord talks to masters and he says, you make sure, who's he talking to? Masters, make sure you govern yourself with the same things, giving up the threatening, giving up the miss, the harsh treatment, knowing that your own master, who's this, the master of the master, God, also in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. That means over the master is a master, the great master, and he is dealing with with the person responsible to prepare us in the responsibilities we have. Colossians 4.1, Paul also tells the Colossians, masters on your part, deal with your servants justly and fairly. Give your slaves what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, there's no greater place than to see God deal with those that have the responsibility above us. Um, there's no safer place for us than to be in line with God's purpose. The story of the prodigal son is just that. This man in Luke 15:12, he leaves the Father's property. He says to the Father, the younger of the sons said to the Father, "Give me the portions of my good that belong to me." And so he divided them to him. Verse 13 says, after a short while, he was off the plantation. He journeyed to a far country and there wasted all that he had in prodigal living. Uh, We continue to read verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, severe famine came upon the land and he began to do without and to be in need he started now figuring out what he's going to do and so there verse 15 he was forced to eat the pig's portion so this is this is the story from those that wander off the plantation that leave the reservation that that defy the parameters that God has purpose with us in the place he's planted us for us to flourish and to be fruitful now uh Many of us don't have an example. What, what you've seen in Nicholas's life with Melissa, what you've seen with Brandon's life with Victoria is a never wavering, you know, stay the course and reap the rewards. Don't allow yourself to be removed to become a wanderer. And so, so many parents uh, really do a disservice to their children by not staying the course, by not persevering um, the the hardships and the challenges of life uh, in in many regards. Uh, Those that are divorced, uh, trying to remove themselves away from that relationship, which God says is his game plan for for prosperity. They're like, how could God want me to stay in this horrible relationship? Why? Why? Because there's going to be a great benefit there to your children in the time to come. When they start going through um, hardships in their lives, they're going to be able to persevere, stay the course. We had one marriage conference. Uh, truly, both the man and the woman were married to the worst people in the world. And they were asked a question. Why did you guys, what was the secret of you being able to see the other side of craziness in this nightmare. And they, they said we stayed. We stayed. We, we trusted that, that God was doing something better than what we were feeling at that moment. And in trusting God we, we, we did not remove ourselves from the place where we were going through such difficult challenges and hardships. Um, because the choice is Rebellion. The choice is perpetual wanderings. This is is what we see in the life. If if I were to show you, give me a snapshot to the perpetual wanderings in the life of the devil who was the first one who removed himself from the place where God had placed him. Being an archangel, now he removed himself. God tells him, um, hey, where have you been? What, 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 is the, what is the trajectory of your walk these days? And it's found in Job 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came, verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, Job 1, seven. The Lord said to the same, Hey, where have you been? Where are you coming from? Is that what it says there? Where, Where do you come? From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. So this is perpetual wanderings, the opposite of finding a place of rest and of reward is just a continue. This is, this is what Israel experienced when they went off the grid in the desert, 40 years going around in a circle and you have to ask yourself, what was happening with these people? They were upon the earth to inherit a promised land that flowed with milk and honey, never got to it because the option for those who come off the plantation is perpetual wanderings. You never get to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. It becomes an often uh, awful, distressful existence. And this is all those who follow this mode of conduct. From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. Uh, The expressions of our fathers who haven't given us the footprints to follow. um, They are absent without leave. You you see, there's church service and preparations and words of God. They don't show up. They've accustomed themselves to coming at best once a month to Sunday if they can make it. But it's not their priority. And it's the climate of the day. Um, As people are picking the churches they go to, and they're picking who's going to be part of their family. Could I suggest that... God's plan for us is not to choose. God's plan for us is to let God choose. And you deny yourself and say, I am amongst those, and this is what what happened to Jesus's life. They said, hey, your family's outside. He says, no, my family are those who do the will of God. I'm, I'm I'm in the plantation working out my salvation with fear and tremble amongst those who are taking God serious. I want to see the fruit thereof. I don't want to follow this track that the devil has in his rebellion. When God asked them many years later, "Where you, where, where, what have you accomplished?" He says nothing, because outside of God's plan, there is nothing for us to accomplish—just perpetual wanderings of darkness. And and I don't I don't want to be part of that life. Um, this is, this is the trajectory of our family. If I look back 100 years and I've seen all those people before me whose loins I come out of, none of them did the will of God. So when I was born, I was totally disconnected from the knowledge of God. I couldn't go and ask my grandfather, hey, um, give me some good advice. He had none. He didn't know the word of God. He, he didn't grow up in the house of God. He wasn't connected to the Lord. Um, Either were my uncles. I I didn't have uncles that would point and direct myself in the way of the Lord. They they were all rebellious on perpetual wanderings. Each one doing his own thing. And so I knew my kids would come. I knew my grandchildren would come. Um, You become obsolete when you don't have answers concerning the purpose of God. When when you ask one of these men... uh, which way should I go? I, I remember, I don't know if Brandon remembers, like five years ago, we went to play golf and there was a senior old man, an elderly fellow, and he was alone, so we decided to invite him to participate with us. And at one point, after a couple of rounds uh of hitting some holes, I turned to him, I said, look, my son, he is... Entering into his adult age, and I need for you to give him good advice. This is an elderly man. He's about late 70s, uh, early 80s, and he's retired, and he's playing golf. And I, I wanted to give my son the best advice he could get from an elderly folk out in the golf course. Tell Brandon, give him some good advice. And he says like this, son, make sure that you have a lot of women in your life. I looked at him I said thanks for your foolishness thanks that all you have to offer is a bunch of foolish expressions when he, he found out I was a pastor and that Brandon was my son he apologized profusely and then he said to me the truth of the matter is that I'm having troubles with my daughter and her husband and..." He cheated on her and left her. and So what he was telling my son earlier now was his dilemma and his curse. And he still have a foolish expression on his lips to point my son in the wrong direction. So that becomes a disservice to all those men who are fugitives. I I don't know how else to call them. Who, Who are these men who have gone off the grid in the vineyard of the Lord and tell their sons there's something good to be had outside the vine. Christ says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. With, without where you need to be doing what you need to be doing, there is not anything left but perpetual wanderings. There's no direction. There's, you go around in circles. This is the biblical premise throughout the word of God. If if you read the book of Jonah, I suggest you parents get with your children this afternoon, in the coming days, whenever you have an opportunity, and show them what happens with a man who turns away from the assignment of God. And, And so you know the big fish that comes along and swallows him. You know the storm You know, the the shipwreck, the the nervousness, the craziness. When God is chasing those who have gone off the grid, Um, he will make sure he pursues you until you return. That's the story. Uh, It was funny because a lot of people say the story of Jonah is not a wayward Nineveh. It's actually a wayward prophet. It's a man, a servant of the Lord who decides, I'm not going to do what God wants. And so all the results of what happens in Jonah's life, if that doesn't convince you, and and I want to say um, God's providential dealings with those who are off the plantation are incredible. Uh, Who has enough energy to challenge God? That's, That's what Job says. He says, Who has fought God and won? Is there anybody out there who's done this and it's gone favorable for them? The answer is no. The answer is no. We we need to move in that regard. Okay, so if in the Old Testament we have all the expressions of going off the grid, there's nothing better than than the New Testament where a lot of people say, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. Why is this preacher always trying to enslave? Uh, He's trying to bring us within the yoke of of a master and a servant. No, listen to me. In the New Testament, the Lord makes sure that he places right in the middle of the New Testament a book called Philemon. And I'm sitting on an airplane in coming back from Chile. And I'm talking to the guy next to me. And we're talking about God, my favorite subject. And he says, I believe in BOTU. He used the word BOTU. Listen, I've, I've listened to a lot of people say a lot of things, but I've never listened to somebody tell me that he believes in BOTU. I'm like, BOTU? He says, yes, B-O-T-U. Boss of the universe. That's my God. I go, really? And has he written a book? No, he hasn't written a book. Has, uh, are there other people that believe in BOTU? No, there's not other. Is there a convention for BOTU believers? No. So you're the only one that has found the boss of the universe, and he's your God. And let me tell you a little bit of my God. He wrote a book called The Bible, and in that book, there's a little, a small little letter called Philemon, and it's only 14 verses. That's, I mean, anybody could read 14 verses in a heartbeat. It, It might take all of three minutes. So let me read it to you. And then you tell me what you think it says. So I start reading. Let's go to Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter and there's 14 verses. Paul is writing a letter. He says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, our brother to our, uh, and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. He's putting all the context of He's under the servitude of Christ as the one who has him prisoner. A lot of people have said, I I want to feel free. Not if you are going to follow Christ. There's there's no... See, when he died on the cross and shed his blood was to purchase you. If you don't have that, then you feel that that's not right or that's not fair. Yeah, you are owned, my friend. You are owned and perfectly purchased by a redeeming God who gave his son to die on the cross to bring you back. Uh, Other dealings I've had throughout the years, I was at a conference and somebody says, uh, Jesus is the biggest thug you'll ever meet. He's Stole life from the grave. I was like, he stole? No, he paid with his blood. He didn't steal anything. He's not a thug. It wasn't a heist. You you need to fix your theology, I told him. He didn't like me that much afterwards. Um, (laughs) But people twist the scriptures. And you don't want to ever not call yourself a prisoner of Christ. He went and took you from being captive of the devil. And now you're his servant by love. He says it there. And to Philemon, our dearly beloved friend and fellow worker. Verse 2. To you, to your wife, Aphia, our sister, and to Archie. I don't know how to say Arch- Archippus. We'll call him Archie. <laughs> our fellow soldier. To the church that gathers in your house. This is the, the membership of the church was people that were connected to family. They held it in Philemon's house. Verse 3, grace and to you, peace, inner calm, spiritual well-being from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything's all right on the up and up. Philemon, verse 4, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. This is powerful. When a man of God is mentioning your name before God, what a blessing it is. Uh, one of those men in my life, every time I call him, he says, I mentioned your name this morning before God's throne is R.T. Kendall. And, and I'm like, man, God is so faithful. Who am I that a man of God might mention me before God in his prayers? But this was a practice in those days here. Philemon is telling God, uh, Paul is telling Philemon, you're in my on my prayer list because I hear verse five of your love. And of your faith which you have towards Jesus. How you how you walk with the Lord to me is it means a lot as I hear your love and your faith toward how you treat all the believers, God's people. Verse 6: I pray that the sharing of your faith. May become effective and powerful because of your accurate knowledge of every good thing which is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty much he's saying, you're the real deal, Philemon. You keep the word of God. You're walking in a healthy, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 7, for I have had a great joy and comfort and encouragement from your love. Because the hearts of the saints, God's peoples, have been refreshed through you, my brother. You're an instrument of blessing for every one of God's people that shows that you're a real deal Christian. Verse 8, therefore on the basis of these facts, though I can be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. This is all language that is very powerful. He's telling Philemon, I can actually make you do what I say But I'd rather not make you do what I say, being who I am. Verse 9, I'm going to speak to you in love. For love's sakes, I'd rather appeal to you. I could command you and force you, but I'm going to ask you with, with profound affection. Being as I am Paul, I'm aged and now I'm paying the price of prison for Jesus Christ. I'm I'm a pioneer of the faith. I brought you to the Lord. You owe me allegiance of commandments, but I'm going to appeal to your affections, to your sentiment. Because I too am suffering as a result of my relationship with the Lord. Verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Now, this word to Philemon is his most wanted The person that he wants to show as an example to his other slaves, this is a runaway slave. In the book of Philemon, Paul is writing to Philemon about Onesimus, this word Onesimus, Onesimus. In those days of the slave trade, they would give this name to those who were going to be the prime example of great slaves. The word means youth, useful. Um, it would be like naming your slave champion. This is going to champion the slave work in my plantation. And he's appealing to Philemon, the owner... Because a champion ran away. And champion ran away with some of the goods. We don't know what they are. But he owes Philemon with his very life. He's being a horrible example of a servant. And Paul is saying all the fancy words from verses 1 to 9. Is setting Philemon up to say are you the real deal now's the time to show it because onesimus who became a christian while he was with me in prison so this is what always blows me away paul is sitting in prison they bring a guy to sit in next to him and he says hey where are you from oh uh, um, okay i'll tell you the truth i'm a runaway slave And I come from the plantation of Philemon. He goes, well, I know Philemon. He's a spiritual son. And if you want to fulfill and see the glory of God for your life, go back to being a slave. Now, a lot of people have issue with this. Again, we we have problems with this. Um, Other than we see the purpose of God being fulfilled. Verse 11, when when he finally tells Philemon why he's writing, he tells him once... He was unprofitable to you. But now he's super profitable to you and to me. If this man connects back where God wants him to flourish and be fruitful. In his spiritual pursuit of the things of God. Understanding what God's plan is. This is the only way it's justified. Stay there and persevere. Suffer. A Hardship. Go go through whatever it takes to get to the place where you become who you need to be. Verse 12. He's profitable now. I'm sending him back. Found him off the plantation, off the reservation. He's running. He's, He's actually becoming a perpetual wanderer. You therefore, this man I'm sending back, receive him. That is my own heart. Verse uh, verse 13, he says, whom I wish to keep. I, I wish this guy would line up with me that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. He's able to fulfill his purpose in Christ as a servant. Verse 14, but more useful to you. I'm not going to keep him without your consent. I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as if it were, but voluntary. By the time I finish reading this letter to Botu, follower, on the airplane, I go, do you understand what you just read? He goes, no. I said, God is your master, and you are a fugitive. The letter is there in the Bible, so that you come back under God's place of service that you be compelled to be in the place you're running from. Verse 15, uh, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. That, that the people that have left the plantation, that the, the people like Jonah who are walk uh, on a ship sailing far from God's purpose for a while, that you might receive him forever. That he might come back to the place and... And understand the purpose of his existence. It's super powerful that we, as the people of God, get to that place. Verse 15, he says, maybe this is why he departed in the first place. That you might be able to receive him forever. Verse 16, no longer with the understanding of him being your slave, but more than a slave, that he might be part of the family. A beloved brother. Now, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I I think that if we are the proper servants of the Lord, I I think that's, that's what it says in Galatians. This is a theme throughout the Bible. You would have to have your eyes open to understand it. Look what it says in Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from being a slave. When you're immature, it almost feels that in the place where you're at, they're treating you like a slave, even though you are the master of all. You're actually being trained up to be a wise steward of the inheritance. Uh, I I love the story of a man who was, he didn't know how to do anything. He He was very... He was very um, mediocre. He was very half-hearted towards everything he did. So um, a contractor hired him. Says, come here, I want you to work with me. And he brought him over to the construction. They started building a house. And he made that guy do every task a hundred times. He hated that man. It's like, why is this man making me do all these things? He, I, I, I nail one nail. He tells me to take it out and he makes me do a hundred nails until I learn how to do it right and then the walls and the brick and the foundation and the house and the roof and he's rebuilding this whole house and the guy hates it so many times tempted to run and to leave. You know what happens at the end of the story. The house is done. It passes permitting. They get their certificate of occupancy and the owner, the contractor gives them the key to the house and says, congratulations, you built your first house. He said, "He gave it to him. Would that not be God's heart for us? And we're fighting with Him the whole time. Get early to church. Don't miss a service. Be faithful to serve God to give you a wonderful life before it falls apart. It falls into ruins and shambles because you were not diligent." Because you were not faithful to return and stay and count the price. There, I say to you, the heir, the fortunes, the inheritance, as long as you're immature, you feel like you're a servant. You're told what to do, when to do, how to do, what to do, when to do, how to do. Brandon, brush your teeth, make your bed. And now he's married and it's all his. He owns it. And then what Melissa tells me and Yvette all the time, thank you guys thank you for treating Nick like a slave for 26 years because now I have a prince in my home. I have a guy that knows when to wake up, knows when to go to sleep, knows when to work, works hard. He knows how to bring good food. He knows how to appreciate. He knows how to value. Why? Because he was that prodigal son that came back and said, Father, make me as one of your servants. Master me. Master me because if, I don't, if, if you don't teach me how to master myself, then I become the ruin of everything that is handed to me. It's so powerful, this message. It's a powerful that the modern church repudiates and hates. How many people have run off the plantation? They refuse to go back home. This is the case when we were in India. All the women that we, we heard about Every, every woman that we interviewed says, "We are training up our why, our, our daughters, to hate the home, to not cook, to not clean, to not organize, to not, to not do what a person needs to do to allow the house to flourish." In other words, they are killing off the virtuousness of womanhood, because they have not prepared their daughters. For that responsibility. Here, this is what Paul is telling Philemon. He says, Listen to me, you're to receive him back, and not as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a brother, as an heir to the purposes of God. Philemon 17 So if you consider me a real co laborer and partner in the work, Welcome and accept him as you would even me. As Paul? Yeah. A vital part in God's formula to bring glory about the earth. Verse 18. But if he has wronged you in any way, if he owes you anything he's stolen, charge it to my account. Why? Because you owe me. That's what Paul is saying. If he owes you anything, verse 19, don't forget Philemon. I'm writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your very life. Isn't it funny how things come around? I, I don't want to treat the slave right. But I'm a slave to Paul, who was my master. God knows what the debt was. And he says, remember that just like you treat him, I'm going to treat you. Remember, as you are refreshing to him, that which you owe me, I will also release. Even your very own life. I I don't know how this works, but I know that it comes full circle at some time. Verse 20. Yes, brother. Let me have some benefit and joy from you in the Lord and refresh my heart in the Lord. You you cost me a lot of suffering and pain. I have refreshed you. I have released your bonds. I have accommodated you. Now it's your turn to live the example I have shown you. Verse 21, I write to you with confidence, knowing your obedient compliance. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say how, how is it that we can, we can appropriate ourselves of these principles in a manner that brings peace to our heart? I hope that so far you identify with Onesimus to come back to the proper place of standing before God so that you might receive his grace upon your life to continue to be a faithful servant. Verse 22, at the same time also prepare a guest room. I'm gonna come to visit you. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. God's gonna answer your prayers because you're doing things in alignment with God. Verse 23, greetings to you from Ephras, my fellow prisoner here in the cause of Christ Jesus and Mark. Aristocardus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with with your spirit. As I finished reading that letter to that man in that airplane, he was prepared to receive Jesus Christ and to come back home. He was prepared to understand that he was the fugitive and that God in the New Testament is calling those that are off the plantation to return to a spiritual standing with God so that they might flourish as a servant of God. Those of you that are moving in your own stride, and I I don't know that this to be true in any other course. I I don't know that, that you can twist this in these last days only to your hurt because what my children have seen in our example is in our faithful service to our master, they model and replicate. They don't come up with excuses. They don't come up with with half-hearted expressions of their servanthood to Christ. Here, Malachi 3, verse 7, he says, Yet from the days of your fathers you have turned away from my statutes and ordinances and have not kept them. This is, this is one of the things that I, I, I don't know how better to, to say. And, and it, it goes to the border of offense. That's why I chose the name of this topic, Off the Plantation. I want to be offensive. I want to be offensive to the point of allowing you to break the yoke of rebellion and resistance to come back under the yoke of the Lord. Take my yoke, for it is easy and my burden is light. That whatever God is asking you to do that you feel is so painful and hurtful is actually the answer and the refreshing to future generations. There's a verse there, and I, 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 let's look it up, because for the youth, on top of the fact that they're listening to God, God calls them to listen to their parents. And this verse is always a great verse for young people to be able to do what Brandon just said. It's worth It's worth to be in those years where you feel that everybody's bossing you around because they're actually training the beast. Lamentations 3.27 It is good for a man to bear yoke in his youth. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Why? Because these are the very things that are crushing that strong will that tomorrow is not going to allow you to be married to a woman. You're not going to stay in a marriage. You're not going to have a family. Unless you allow the Lord to bring you under a yoke to be his servant. You're not going to take joy and pleasure in suffering. So there God says Malachi 3 7. From the days of your fathers you've turned away from my statutes and my ordinances and have not kept them. You have bucked the yoke. You have kicked off the yoke. Return to me so that I can return to you, says the Lord. But you said, in what way shall I return? And, and this is a crazy expression. But if God says, I want you to commit even stronger than what you have apparently committed. Verse eight, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. You say in what? We have robbed you in tithes and offerings. That your commitment would be greater in that expression of Walking that what you have in your own hands is not yours, it's actually God's. A lot of people says, oh, I give 10% of what I make every month or every week, whatever the case may be. And I said, no, you're not giving 10%. You're keeping 90% of what God gives you. You're not giving. It, giving would be if you were giving God what was yours. You're giving God what is His. He belongs at all. And these people who walk in that manner have an expression to see the providence of God. The amazing, I, I, I've seen that in my life uh, with respect to coming to the Lord. And the first verse that the Lord gives me is Ephesians 6.1 um, where it says, young people, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That would be like the last advice you would give any young person. And it was the first advice God gave me. I stopped being rebellious because I read this verse and it says, verse 2, honor your parents for this is the first commandment with promise. It's getting somewhere. Go back under that yoke and honor these people that are in your life. Verse 3, so that everything will be well with you and you'll live a long life. I was so rebellious, I said, what if I don't? And he says, then read that backwards. Everything's going to go wrong with you and you're going to live a short life. I got convinced. I got convinced. I'm, I'm going to go back into the yoke of the dealings of my father with me because it's the preparations for me to inherit the land. And that's what it says there in Galatians 4.2. But is under guardians and stewardships until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And it says, because you are sons. Verse seven, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are an heir of God. Through Christ. This, these things that if I treat them properly in the season I'm in. It, it prepares my heart for the rewards that's coming down the pike. Eventually the greatest blessing is that your sons would have seen your devotion to your master in heaven. And follow your example. And you can tell your son just like dad denied himself. And did what the father wanted. Now I'm asking you to follow my example. There's no greater gift of God than a father might give to his children of a servant's heart of giving direction to his home. I was talking to a man this week and he says, my wife doesn't listen, my children don't listen and and the Bible says that I'm the head and I said, well, let me ask you something. Do they have an example in you listening? (coughs) Ah! the answer was no they couldn't see the grace of denying self in their father because their father continually lived as if no one had rule over his spirit and that's what the Bible says is the beginning of plunder when a man knows not how to govern his own spirit he's like a city without walls let's stand this morning that is the word of the Lord for us today. I don't know how you're going to bring it into your life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you will not sin, so that you do not go against God's law. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with us, the Father. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who conforms to the Father's will in every way. He is our example. He, verse 2, becomes He himself is the appropriation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He's able to teach us how we are to walk in that expression. We're living in a time and season where this message does not fit in the comfort, convenience, and pleasure of wayward man. They do not know how to come into a And understanding, and you take all these examples that we have talked about this morning, and you say, Lord, I I want to go back to the place where you own me. You tell me what to do. You tell me when to do it. You tell me where to do it. I don't want to feel I'm off the plantation. I want to feel that I'm honoring my master in God. I, I am devoted to this life for the purpose of the expression of what it represents in the kingdom of God. So, Father, we thank you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that your grace would be sufficient to bring us into what happened in Paul's life as we minister to fugitives in these last days, telling them to go back to that place where in God they flourish and thrive in the purpose of being the servants of the Most High God. We pray, Lord, that we might not be like the devil, walking in perpetual wanderings, Doing as we please, when we please, how, with who we please. Father, we pray that iniquity would not be found in our hearts. That we might perfect obedience. That the hardship of learning. It says in uh, Hebrews 5.8 that he learned obedience through suffering. That's the school we want to be in. Bring us to the place where we're obedient unto death and death on a cross. So that we might be raised up glorious sons of the Most High God, following Christ's example, Lord. No longer prodigal, no longer fugitive, no longer vagabonds, that we would be held accountable for our actions, our words. Everything we do would be perfected as we move in your direction, Lord. We give you thanks for this word. We ask you to bless it and that this would be a flourishing, fruitful week of much abundance Because of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen.